Welcome back to the jointhetrades.com interview series, where we talk to tradespeople and learn more about successful career paths straight from the source. Today, our guest is Elise Umstead. She is a farrier with six years of experience in the trade. Elise, before we get started, we have no idea, some of us, what a farrier is. Would you give us an idea of a farrier and then how you got started? So a farrier is responsible for the care of a horse's hooves. So whether that's trimming or shoeing, um, their feet are basically made up of the same proteins as our fingernails. So just like our fingernails grow, so do horses. The biggest, biggest difference is that they walk on their fingernails. So they need a lot of care um, and that care affects their entire body. So we basically combine art and science into a whole horse kind of care, if that makes any sense. Hopefully it does. Okay. Um, go ahead. No, 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 absolutely. Keep rolling. Tell, tell us how you got started in this field. So in a really roundabout way, I had no prior farrier experience. Um, I grew up around horses and basically getting into this career was because of my mom. So I have to give her a little shout out. Thanks, mom. Um, I initially wanted to be a veterinarian, an equine veterinarian from kindergarten up until my senior year of college. So I attended Colorado State University and my bachelor's degree is in animal sciences. And I had fully planned to go to vet school, you know, was in the process of applying when I decided kind of last minute, you know what, this isn't the path that I want to go. So I got out of horses. Um, I actually ran a hog farm in Nebraska for about a year, traveled all over the country. And when we settled in Virginia, I was kind of feeling like, okay, I need to get back into horses. I miss it. I miss working around them. Um, but I wanted something that was still heavily based in science. That's what I enjoy. I like the research aspect of it. And I went to a clinic that was an equine vet clinic um, with farrier work as well. Again, my mom was like, oh, you should, you know, think about farrier work. And I remember seeing farriers in the barns when I was riding growing up and thinking, absolutely not. That looks horrible. You know, they hot shoe and the smell just, I don't think I can handle this. But I went to the clinic and was immediately hooked. It has all of the science that I love. You know, it's now getting more based in research, which I think is important. Um, I get to run my own business. I get to, you know, schedule the clients that I want. I have been able to shape my career in the way that I want. And that just really was attractive to me. Um, and now here I am and I've been quite successful and very blessed in, in what I'm doing. And uh, I could never imagine doing anything else. I absolutely love my job. Uh, and I'm very glad that I listened to my mom because, you know, moms are always right. <laughs> That's right. Thanks, mom. Another shout out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so cool. So you were kind of into animals. You grew up around horses uh, and you moved into uh, into hogs at one mm -hmm. point. Uh, um, and <laughs> they have hooves as well. They do. Correct? They do. And you but you don't have to shoe them. No, thankfully. Oh, even trimming is, it's an experience. They, uh, they scream. So uh -huh. uh, it's not quite something that I, I do trim pigs every once in a while and sheeps and goats and all that, but uh, not anything I am passionate about like horses. Okay. All right. So you were concerned about the horse smell and the pig smell has to be, has to be just as bad. Um, horses smell a lot better than pigs do. That's for sure. Okay. Noted. Um, 
All right. Well, that's incredibly cool. So you kind of you kind of fell into something that worked perfectly for you. You obviously seem excited and passionate about it, which is awesome. Yeah. It, um, because I had never done anything like it before, I wasn't really sure how to get started. Um, but I ended up going to Farrier School for a nine month program. Now, some of the other programs that are offered uh, throughout the country are shorter. So there's like six, 12, um, three month course, or I guess 12 is three months, but um, there are shorter courses, but because I had never done anything like that before, I went for the full nine months to, to get as much experience as I possibly could. Um, in addition to mentoring with other farriers, um, interning as much as I can, I've gone all over the place to work with people that are far better than I am. Uh, I will never be the best, but I, I'm striving to do that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of very basic. Okay, so tell us about uh, the schooling process. First of all, how did you find out about the the right school, or how did, you know when you were looking for schools? How did you pick that? And then second of all, the the length of the course. You said yours was nine months. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yep. So, um, I live in Virginia, and I was looking for something that was relatively close. Um, I chose Meredith Manor International Equestrian Center. It's in Waverly, West Virginia, so it's about seven hours. Unfortunately, the school has since shut down. Um, shortly after I graduated, actually. Um, and when I was looking at, you know, the school and what they had to offer, one thing that was really attractive to me is that they were also a riding program. So they had 140 live animals where they would bring them into the shop. It was the student's job to trim and shoe appropriately for whatever the horses needed. But then we could actually go and watch them in ride classes. So it really helped to develop my eye on you know, their movement, because, you know, growing up, I was usually in the saddle, I wasn't on the ground watching them move. And that plays a huge part into what I do now. Uh, and initially, I didn't really put two and two together at how beneficial that would be. Um, I'm seeing that now, obviously, in my career. Um, and again, the nine month course was attractive because I had not done anything like this before. And I wanted to make sure I was getting as much information as possible. You know, it's not just trimming and shoeing horses, it's running a business. So I wanted to make sure I understood everything that went into that. And I felt like that program was the best for me. And that's why I decided to go there. And did you have to have any pre-qualifications to sign up? No. And in fact, farriers in the United States don't even have to go to school in order to be farriers. A lot of it is generational. Um, I technically could hand you a set of trimming tools or shoeing tools and you could be a farrier. I don't know about that, but okay. <laughs> that's that's for a whole different conversation. <laughs> okay, so you're unfortunately your school shut down. I guess they figured, yeah. hey, we just sent off the best. Why bother going uh, on? I huh? mean, you know, no, it um it was in decline for a little bit of time. Um it's one of the lesser known schools. There are some really popular schools in Kentucky, Oklahoma, California. Those are like the big ones that everybody hears about. Um, and a lot, I mean, don't get me wrong, a lot of fantastic people have come out of those programs too. Really, it being closer, West Virginia was closer to me. Um, I have a family, so I didn't want to be too, too far. And uh, the nine months um, and the ride school attached. So all of those things kind of determined that choice for me. Cool. Yeah, that seems to have worked out 
serendipitously for you. Um, you mentioned watching the riding school. That's cool. So just for curiosity's sake, if the shoes are not properly mounted or, or, or placed on the hoof, that will affect the way the horse is riding? Yes, definitely. Okay. Um, think of it like you're wearing a shoe that's either too big or too small or that doesn't you know, fit your foot at all, like no arch support, for example. All of those things affect your gait and your stride. Um, it's the same thing with horses. And they also have the privilege of having a rider on top of them at the same time. So we want to make sure that they are as balanced as possible. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I rode horses for for many, many years. And uh, I know a little bit of this, a little bit more than I'm letting on, but it's also great, great information for everyone out there and fascinating because I'm learning something new as I go. Um, all right, well, walk us through kind of a day for you. How does this play out? Um, so mornings are pretty much the same. I like to wake up early. I have three dogs, so part of that is because they wake me up early. Um, oh, there's one. Hey, uh, on she, cue. <laughs> she heard me talking about her. Uh, that's the one that wakes me up early. That's my German Shepherd. Um, but I like to get up early and I like to kind of process what I'm going to do for the day. So my day is pretty scheduled. I know what I'm going to be doing at least six weeks in advance. But I like to kind of go through how I need everything to go. Sometimes I have interns with me. Sometimes I don't. So, you know, just really plotting out the day, things that could possibly go wrong, things that I need to go right. Usually I am at my first stop by nine. Um, depends on where I'm where I'm going. Either I leave really early in the morning because I'm driving two hours, or I'm local. Um, and usually it's like a mix of trimming and shoeing. And then I like to be home by like well I like to be done by three or four, um, home by five or six. That doesn't always happen. This is a very um, uh, not a scheduled kind of job. I mean, I guess you could make it that way, but things can pop up and you kind of have to adjust accordingly. So I would say it's more like a really overly full-time job. It's not just like a, nine, a typical nine to five. Um, and yeah, so I, I pretty much when I get to a stop, I kind of know what the day is going to be like, depending on the first stop. The first stop sets the tone for the entire day. So when I walk in, you can read the vibe. Are the horses doing well? Are the owners doing well? And that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the day. Okay. Okay, so clearly you you run your own business at this point, yes. right? Yep. So you don't work for anyone else. You just run your own shop. Mm -hmm. And do you have employees under you? I have three apprentices currently. Um, one, two of them are part-time, and then one of them is I – I guess I should, she would be part-time as well, but – She's only with me like twice a month, whereas the other two are with me at least two or three times a week. Okay, so they now they've gone to school, correct? One of them has. One of them is um, going to go this summer, and the other one is going in the fall. Okay, and did you do that same process when, when you got rolling? You went to school, and then were you an intern for a while to learn? Yes. Yep, I apprenticed for six months, and uh, that was not the best situation i learned a, i learned a lot of um what not to do which is good it's still learning uh but after that experience i was largely on my own so i had to make the effort to reach out to other farriers and of course you know it's a male dominated field and the unfortunate part of that is a lot of male farriers don't want female apprentices 
So that was quite a challenge. Um, eventually I was able to find somebody that would work with me and he's based out of New York. So I had to travel to where he was in order to work with him. And that was, that was tough for wow. a while. Yeah. That's a convoluted process to find a mentor. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you made it through. Um, you mentioned that it's a male dominated field. Is that changing over time? Have you noticed a progression in that direction or is it pretty much just that way overall? Um, it's definitely changing. My farrier school class, I think had maybe five or six other uh, female farriers. And I know that the trend is starting to be more where women are entering the industry. Um, there are not enough of us, there needs to be more. So I'm hoping that this, you know, and a lot of my, my social media platform is trying to encourage uh, young women that you can do this, you can be in this field, you can be just as successful as the guys, don't be afraid of it. And I, and you know, I'm trying to be a resource for a lot of those people. I get DMs all the time from people saying like, you know, I was told I can't do this, I, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm, you know, too whatever. But, you know, I'm here to be like, no, you absolutely can do this if you want to do it. So it, roundabout way of saying yes, it's starting to trend where more women are entering the field, thankfully. Great, yeah, we, talking to different people in different trades, uh, we're finding that slowly but surely that trend is, is increasing. So that's, that's excellent. Um, there's pros and cons. You've spoken a lot about most of the pros. You obviously had a few cons finding a mentor and going through that apprentice uh, aspect. What else? What, are, what else uh, do you have to mention? It is a hard job. It is physically, mentally, emotionally very demanding. We are dealing with not only clients, so people, but they're animals. And a lot of these animals are seen as pets. Um, or they're very high-end sport horses that are bringing in lots of money for these people. So it's not just, you know, there, there's more to it. It's more nuanced than just dealing with people. Um, like veterinarians, we are, you know, the ones that are called first when something is wrong. So we have to be prepared for a lot of situations. Um, we see clients sometimes once a month. So we have a relationship with them, not just the horses, but the people as well. Uh, which is why we are usually called first when there's a problem. Uh, this is not a, like I said before, a typical nine to five. You know, we work because we run our own businesses. Sometimes it feels like 24-7. I will come in from my day of shoeing or trimming horses all day long, and then I'm doing research. I'm, you know, running the business side, making sure I'm getting invoices out, making sure I'm, you know, posting things on social media. So it's that part is, that's tough. You know, it's not just, um, and it's all on you. You know, it, I'm in charge of everything that happens. So that part can be pretty tough sometimes, but the positives outweigh all of, you know, the, the harder things. I form incredible relationships with the people and the horses that I work with. I've had cases where you know, a horse was supposed to be euthanized and I came out and worked with the vet and we developed a, a protocol and saved the horse's life. Um, I get texts from my clients. I had one today saying, just thank you so much for everything that you do. You know, you've made a huge difference in my animals' lives. Like those things that they keep me going. And, and that part is another reason I just, I love what I do. I get to affect change, not just with people, but their animals. 
That's extraordinary. So you have a pretty close relationship um, with a couple vets, I assume? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there are vets all out over Virginia. Uh, we tend to have the same kind of clients, so we'll run into each other often, um, especially on like more therapeutic cases where we have to work hand in hand. It's it's not just a, a one-person effort. It, it takes a team sometimes to make sure that everything goes well. Yeah, that uh, it sounds extraordinary that you're able to feel like you, you're doing something that makes such an incredible difference to people and to the animals themselves, because clearly you have a love for the animals. Um, I assume that that there's a, there is a lot of pressure though on that level because these people are so attached to the animals and and you know it is so important to them that that everything is working out well. So yes, <laughs> there there have definitely been some very difficult cases where you know it's the pressure to make sure that the animals survive sometimes and you also have to deal with as I have told my clients the emotion at the end of the lead rope where they're giving me a lot of pressure and I'm feeling pressure to just make sure everything is going well and that is you know it's overwhelming sometimes but when things turn out well which for the most part knock on wood everything has so far in my career um, that definitely, it, it makes it worth it to go through those, those little harder or more challenging times. Sure. Learn from, learn from everything, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, talk to us just a little bit. I wonder if there's anyone out there that'll be watching this, that'll, that'll be curious about the, the dangers, the physical dangers, because obviously horses are strong, powerful animals. They all have individual personalities. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, exactly what you said. They are... Um, animals with their own personality, their own sometimes trauma. They are large prey animals. So we have to think of them as prey animals because unlike dogs, they have a totally different mentality. Um, it's more a flight versus a fight. Um, they are dangerous. They Even their little movements can permanently injure you. I have been kicked and stepped on and thankfully not bitten, but you know, I've had pretty severe injuries that luckily were not, you know, permanent um, or, you know, life or career ending, but there are people out there that have not had the same luck that I have. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with you know, choosing the clientele that you're working on. I typically will not work on horses that are dangerous. Um, if they are difficult, that is different for me because that could either be pain-related or fear-related. Determining the difference between fear and pain-related makes a big difference in understanding horses' body language. So, you know, like most animals, they give very subtle clues, but they are talking to you the entire time. If you do not understand how to interpret that message and either, you know, apply more pressure or back off, you know, that can put you in, in harm's way. They, they speak to us. We just have to listen to them. And a lot of time people don't. Uh, I fortunately, you know, have three dogs, so I'm reading body language all the time. And even before farrier school, I worked for, at a shelter in Richmond um, with aggressive dogs. And that actually plays a huge part in what I'm doing now because it's those minute expressions. Horses do the same exact thing. So reading that, picking with the clientele that's not going to, you know, try and kill me. Um, and just being able to like work around the animal, understanding horsemanship. I guess that's, that's the overall thing. Being a good horseman uh, keeps you safe. 
Okay, so you learned um, you learned some of that in school, obviously, but then I imagine you just learn being hands on most of the time. Yeah, I uh, I have a lot of Mustangs in my in my books, and some of the Mustang trainers I work with are incredible horse people, and they have taught me a lot. They have truly changed my perspective on horses, how verbal they are without you know saying anything, um, and really just paying attention to that makes a, a huge difference. And some of it is consent too. you know, walking up to anybody, if you just grab them by the arm, they're not going to respond super well. Horses are like that as well. They're very emotional creatures. You have to sometimes ask for their permission. And, and if you do that, you're going to have a good success with them that day. Um, if you don't, maybe you won't. It all, and it depends on the animals too. They are, they are individuals. And you're trained overall for, for any breed. I mean, obviously you work with Mustangs. I mean, you know, we rode Andalusians and Frisians. And so it, it doesn't matter. You've been trained for all that quarter horses. Yep. Um, I, I do everything from, like I said, pigs and sheeps and goats to donkeys, um, all breeds of horses. I have breeds that I prefer working on over others. Um, and I go all the way up to Shire draft horses. So everything wow. in between oh that's very cool now you obviously own you own company you you run your own company are there ways for people to work for a larger company are there larger companies or is are most people's smaller shops most people are individual um there are few that will do a multi-farrier practice where they have you know multiple farriers under one um, branch but that's not as common uh I think in, in the United States, as it might be in, the, in Europe, um, which I, I, I don't really understand why that is. I feel like it's, it's nice to have a team where, you know, you can rely on other people to like, hey, I'm going on vacation. Can you cover my clients or can you tech a shoe on or just little basic things like that? Um, this job becomes very individualized. And sometimes we can fall back into really bad habits because we don't have anybody, you know, checking our work. Hi, Blitz. Hello. <laughs> you know, we don't have anybody checking our work or saying like, hey, you're doing great or you're not doing so great. You need to watch that stuff. So I think I think more people should should do multi-farrier practices, but I understand why, why they don't as well. Okay, you know, that's nice fascinating. On your own business <laughs> and not have anybody else to worry about. Yeah, I suppose that's those are those are also pros and cons, huh? I mean, you yes. have you don't have to worry about anyone else, but you don't even want to cover you if you need to go out of town and and vice versa. Yep. All right. Well, uh, in your experience, what kind of person would be best suited for this career? Um, definitely someone that does not mind hard work. As I stated, it is it's a tough job. It's very physical. Um, we are hunched over all day long. It's hot. It's uh, sorry, my other dogs are coming up to say hi. It's buggy. You know, we're we're either working outside or in barns or in the field. Sometimes in the rain, snow. Like, you just have to not be afraid of any hard work. Um, someone that is a good horseman uh, definitely will be successful. And then someone that can have good business skills and personal skills. You know, we are talking with people first before we deal with the horses, so we do have to, you know, be nice and kind and courteous and all those things that, you know, people enjoy it's customer service, right? So um, 
and being able to work with not just the owners, but other equine professionals. You know, sometimes it becomes a team effort where we need to talk to the trainers, um, nutritionists, uh, the riders, um, body workers, veterinarians, all of those things. So we have to be able to, you know, be able to communicate with all of those people at the same level, um, understanding terminology, uh, anatomy, all of those, all of those things. Cool. Talk to us uh, just a little bit about um, about pay. Uh, I assume, of course, just like anything, you start off, especially when you're running your own business from the beginning, you start off lower, your clientele is just building up, right? And then, you know, talk to us about the ins and outs of that. I, I, I assume you do pretty well and you're satisfied with that? Yeah, so I make six figures. Um, I started making six figures about three and a half years into my business. And they don't teach you kind of how to run that, at least in the farrier program that I was in. Um, I had to figure out what worked best for me. This is also fairly individualized. I mean, we have a base range of what farriers are charging in each state, you know, and it can vary state to state, even from like Northern Virginia versus Southern Virginia, depending on, you know, cost of living and all of those things. Um, but I basically figured out, you know, I would like to make six figures. How do I get to that point? So I had to start, I worked backwards. Um, I broke down what I thought my expenses were going to be, um, you know, not just for my truck and my inventory, but um, education. I attend a lot of clinics, what the travel is going to be. So I had to kind of work backwards a little bit. And then, you know, it's easy to charge for the materials, but what about my time? What about my education? So those intangibles are a little bit more difficult, but I've, I've, I think where I'm at right now, price-wise, is fairly good. Um, I'm a little more expensive than some other people in my area. I'm a little cheaper than others as well. I think I'm in a good middle range. My mentor would smack me upside the head and say I'm not charging enough. Uh, but I get in my own way about that. That's, that's all me. It's not uh, necessarily like my skill set or education. It's my... It's the imposter syndrome that sometimes gets in your way. Uh, right. But yeah, so it's, it's um, I tell people it's what you want to make. So figure out what you want to make. Don't worry about what everybody else is making. Figure out what you want to make and then do that. Charge those prices. Yeah, that's that's well said. I, there's something to be said for like saying, "Hey, this is my goal, and I'm going to figure out how to get there." And then, you know, once I get there, I'll see I'll see where it brings me. Right? Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's great. Thank you. Well, you seem to be a great success. You're you're a lovely person, and you're you're doing very well for yourself. And um, you've obviously earned that. Um, for anyone out there that you know would be interested in my gosh how do i get the ball rolling on this what would you suggest um i think it depends on what people want out of this do they want to have a full-time career where they're only working on horses or is this more of a part-time hobby type of situation um, i would say that Working with other farriers prior to farrier school would be a very good idea. Um, maybe not do what I did and just like dive in head or feet first. Uh, some people can do that and be very successful, but it was a challenge at the same time. I would say find local farrier or talk to your veterinarian because they probably work with farriers too. See if you can apprentice or even just sit in a truck and ride along and talk to somebody. 
Um, from there, I highly recommend going to Farrier School. It is just a very good base knowledge. Um, and in the meantime, join Farrier organizations. Most states have um, state organizations, and then there's the international ones like the International Association of Professional Farriers and the American Association of Professional Farriers. Those are all great resources. Um, they have podcasts, they have research, they have people that you can call to mentor, all of those things. Um, and then when you get out of school, start interning again. You know, it's, it's always a learning process. I mean, I, my mentor is coming up in September. We're going to hang out and shoe some horses. He's probably going to tell me, you need to do this, you need to do that. But that's okay because it's, it's always learning, and I appreciate that. And there's clinics all the time as well. So um, figure out where you want to go with it. Figure out if you want to do this full time or if it's just a part-time hobby. Okay. That's great information. Listen, Elise, congratulations on all your success. We can't thank you enough for being here. It's been awesome. Great information. Thank you. Um, would you like to give a shout out to your uh, social media or if anyone wanted to reach out to you, if you're comfortable giving information, feel free to do that. Yeah, so all of my social media, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok is all under at Umstead Farrier. Uh, I'm my DMs are open. My phone number is on my Facebook page, my email as well. I have no problem with people reaching out if they need advice or just, you know, someone to say like, hey, you got this. I'm, I'm here for all of that. Awesome. Elise, thank you so much. Thanks to the dogs. And uh, everybody, we'll see you next time. Thank you.